It was just a little over 20 years ago. I had been reading the Bible from cover to cover, really searching for truth, asking God to teach me and lead me. And somebody gave me a book called Left Behind. I've shared with this before, but if you have not heard it, you're hearing it for the first time. Maybe some of you have heard this story before. But I've read that. I began to read that book, and as I was reading through it, there was just something that did not sound right. Now, I could not put my finger on it. As I said, I'd been reading the Bible cover to cover, and I was on my way through it, I think the second time now. But what I recognized was it did not seem to be harmonizing with different verses in the Bible that I had read before. And lo and behold, you get to the back of the book and you flip it over, it says fiction. What do you know? <laughs> no wonder it didn't make sense. And I was asking God to teach me. Now, I was in a prison at this time, and I had, was in one part of the prison, and God moved me to a different facility, part of the facility. And I was put in a cell block with a guy named Paul. Now, Paul had been studying the Bible, and he'd been receiving little study guides from this home church, and, uh, or church that also had a home Bible school. And one day, after about three days talking with him about the Bible, he decided to pull out these booklets and share them with me, and he handed me the first one, and it was called, Is There Anything Left You Can Trust? Amazing Facts, Study Guide Number One. And I was a little reluctant because at this point, I hadn't got very much truth out of man in regards to the Bible. There was a lot of confusion. Some people would say this about the Bible and about the coming of Christ. Some people would say this about baptism. Some people would say this about the state of the dead. Somebody would say something else. Lots of confusion. But what I did and could count on was the Spirit of God would lead me into all truth. And that's what he had promised. And I leaned on that promise day in and day out. So I did take the studies, and I began to prayerfully look at them. And I began to look up the verses and read the Bible and history together and other things as well. And one of the things that really solidified in my mind that I could trust what was between these two covers was Bible prophecy. And as I read Daniel chapter 2, and I looked at the history and the unfolding of events, my heart was warmed. And I began sharing with other people about this great truth and everything that I was learning, I would share each booklet with them and then if I got your address, I'd sign you up for Amazing Facts Bible Studies. Now many of you know that I used to be a drug dealer and while I was sitting in prison, if I had your home address, whether you asked for Amazing Facts Bible Studies or not, you got them because I was all about letting other people know that there's a truth out there, and this truth was setting me free, and I wanted all my friends to be free too. And so I don't know how you feel about that, but I do believe that we got a great moral responsibility and a great obligation that's been handed to us because of the privilege of holding on to this great truth and light that we possess, that we have an obligation to share it with the world. And so thus, I had a great burden for precious souls. So I want to invite you to bow your head with me as I kneel and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in this divine service. Loving Father, as we reflect on prophecy, as we reflect on some current events, as we dive into your word and turn the pages, we ask for your Holy Spirit to stir our hearts. Lord, we're living in some very interesting times. 
And we ask, Father, that if we've been sleeping to awaken us, if we've been focused somewhere else, redirect our focus. But we're asking, Lord, that we will leave today changed, touched, moved by your presence and your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Every once in a while, I will get on Google and do some search and try to figure out what's been happening in our world on some current events. And so I just want to share a few with you. Um, you know, we know from the great controversy and scripture that there will be a uniting of Protestant churches with the papal church. And just curious how that's been going on. So, you know, I did a little research back in 2014. Um, it was just prior to this meeting right here. The man on the right, Tony Palmer, an Anglican priest, which is also was a friend of the Pope at that time. He's since passed away. Uh, Tony Palmer has. But he, he connected with Kenneth Copeland, who is a, a mainstream Pentecostal pastor and has a lot of influence in the Pentecostal world. And they did an event together. And at that event, uh, Tony Palmer was speaking to the, the congregation, which happened to be a, a large group of pastors. And he was, he was talking about that several years earlier, that how the Lutheran church and the Catholic church got together and they did decide to have mutual agreement on the message of justification by faith. Now, at this time, Tony Palmer was telling the congregation that at, because of this agreement that Luther's protest was over, as if Luther was the only one protesting during that time and the, during the Reformation and at, uh, events and so forth. So he was saying the protest is over, and if the protest is over, there's no more Protestant church. And if there's no more Protestant church, he said, then we must, all must be Catholic again, at which point every pastor in the congregation laughed. So I found it to be quite interesting that here we already have one Protestant church already going over, and then uh, Kenneth Copeland went over to meet the uh, Pope here with his entourage and connect with him and it wasn't shortly after that that this book came out from conflict to communion it was a book put together by the uh, Lutheran Church and the Catholics and to talk about what was happening during the Reformation this celebration is 2017 when this came out and in the second chapter they said something very very interesting now there's there's some good points in the book but there's a lot of twisted things taken out of context and do not support the Bible at all and actually hold up her heresy. And it says this uh, new perspective on Martin Luther and the Reformation. It says, what happened in the past cannot be changed, but what is remembered of the past and how it is remembered can, with the passage of time, indeed change. Remembrance makes the past present. While the past itself is unalterable, the presence of the past in the present is alterable. I don't know if you want to read that real fast, you'd be just as confused as everybody else that reads it and believes it. In view of 2017, the point is not to tell a different history, but to tell that history differently. So friends, there's a great movement, even among Protestants, in uniting with the Roman Catholic Church to undo and tell a different story than what really happened. To put 
the Roman Catholic Church in what you could say a better light. And along with them, the Lutherans, the Baptists, have they made their concession back over to the papacy? They haven't joined them with 100% open arms, but they're all uniting on the basis of a commonality of laboring for the poor, sharing about how we care for people, having compassion, and sharing the gospel, the good news. But we're not going to talk about doctrine. We're not going to talk about what divides. We're not going to call the papacy out on the abomination of the mass or the, the claim that the, the pope is infallible. We're not going to talk about the priest being able to forgive sins and really which he cannot take in the place of Christ, which only Christ can do. We're not going to talk about any things. We're not going to talk about Mary worship and idol worship or any of those and the many, many other things that the Catholic Church does. But we're just going to unite together on our common ground of ministering to the poor and needy and so and many other things you know and there are some good things that we can do but we cannot compromise friends there's no unity in compromise can you say amen, amen. and so the baptists have made that concession the methodist church in 2020 they too have 2022 i'm sorry have also took a journey over to make sure that they are well known to be in harmony pretty much with the papacy. Now, let's look at a few other things. Along with that, we know there's going to be an emphasis on spirituality or spiritualism. Alexis, which was put out by Amazon, has come out with a, a little app that soon you'll be able to hear the voice of dead loved ones. And you can record this. It's easily to be recorded. And they're still playing around with this. It's not 100% out there in the market yet. But this is what they say. Uh, Do you miss the sound of a dead relative's voice? Well, fear not. Amazon unveiled a new feature in the works for its vital assistant, Alexis, Alexa, that can read aloud in a deceased loved one's voice based on a short recording of the person. While AI can eliminate the pain of loss, it can definitely make their memories last. Now, as you know, Hollywood's been pushing spiritualism for many, many years. Disney's been pushing spiritualism for many, many years. And there seems to be this, this continued emphasis on being able to communicate with the dead. Now, we know that also will have a role in end-time events. Now, this here book here just came out by Disney, Hocus Pocus Spell Book. A, a little guide to promote uh, potions and hexes and spells and so forth. And, and this is what they're putting out there for children. Now, unfortunately, there's even among Seventh-day Adventists that believe there's good things that come out of Disney. Well, I can assure you there might be something, maybe, I don't know, I'm not quite sure, good. But what I do know is there's a lot of spiritualism that comes out of Disney. Now, I don't know how many of you here, those watching online, can say that they have enough wisdom and enough spiritual discernment and insight to detect Satan's sophistries and withstand them. Remember, he was second in connection to Christ. You have the mind of God, and you have the mind of Satan. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 36, 
the prophet would tell us that his mind next to Christ was first among the host of heaven. That's what we're dealing with. We do not stand a chance, nor do our children stand a chance outside of the Bible counsel we've been given an inspiration to not investigate these things. God's word definitely calls this abomination, and we should shun it like the plague. Now, this was an interesting event that just recently happened. Texas red heifers arrive, stirs prophetic excitement in Israel. And so what's been happening is for years, Israel has been trying to raise red heifers. They believe that once they have a perfect red heifer, and this is based upon Old Testament Levitical law and cleansing and purification, that they can sacrifice that red heifer. They can use those ashes for purification purposes for the priest and those that will build the third temple. And then after that is done, then the Messiah would come. And so now take all of this into consideration here. You have the Protestant churches harmonizing themselves with the papal church. You have spiritualism rising, and there's a great movement to convince people that they can talk to their dead loved ones and get them acquainted to the voice of the dead. And then you have this little interesting thing happening over in Israel. Now, take that into consideration and listen to this quote by Great Controversy. She says this, Through the two great errors, the immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, Satan will bring people under his deceptions. While the former lays the foundation for, of spiritualism, the latter creates a bond of sympathy with Rome. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp the hand of the Roman power. And under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow in the steps of Rome and trampling upon the rights of the conscience. She continues, as spiritualism more closely imitates the nominal Christianity of the day, it has greater power to deceive and ensnare. Satan himself is converted after the modern order of things. He will appear in the character of an angel of light. The scriptures tell us this as well in Corinthians. Let us not be, let us not marvel at it, but he himself will appear as an angel of light. Through the agency of spiritualism, miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and many undeniable wonders will be performed. And as the spirits will profess faith in the Bible and manifest respect for the institution of the church, their work will be accepted as a manifestation of divine power. Goes on to say, the line of distinction between professed Christians and the ungodly is now hardly distinguishable. Church members love what the world loves and are ready to join with them. And Satan determines to unite them in one body and thus strengthen his cause by sweeping all into the ranks of spiritualism. Do we not see these things happening? I mean, think about this. It's almost as if this woman was alive today reading the current news. This written more than 120 years ago is now unfolding right before us. Yes, friends, you're in this church, you have this truth, and along with it comes a great obligation and a responsibility. It's not just for us to enjoy and to walk around saying, yes, I have peace with God, I'm thankful for the gospel, I'm thankful for the message of justification by faith, I'm thankful for sanctification, I'm thankful for the good news, I'm thankful for the truths we know about the state of the dead, the coming of Christ, the Sabbath, and so on. 
But you and I have an obligation for the sake of precious souls that are going down to a Christless grave without the knowledge of this truth, living and being deceived or under deception to give the message. We are to be a voice. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're just going to pull out of these few verses here some points that maybe will encourage us today and challenge us and remind us about the great duty we have in not only walking with God but serving our fellow man. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to start with verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abia, And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, that's interesting. Could somebody really walk before God and be blameless? The Bible says this couple did. And it said they walked before God and they were blameless. So can the grace of God give us the ability to not only walk in all of his commandments, but actually live a life that lifts up Christ constantly? Can God do that? Absolutely. Now, they were righteous before God. So this couple actually understood that they had no righteousness of their own, that their only righteousness would come from God. They understood that walking in the commandments of God, that was action. It was activity. It was about setting an example and living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It was walking with God in the light. It was means standing for the right, even though the heavens fall they were blameless. They lived a life that was an example to their friends and their family. And it would be a life that they could live and pass on to their son that they were about to have soon. And they had no child. And Elizabeth was barren and they both were, were now well stricken in years. This is a great story. I love this story. When you think that things are impossible because of our age or impossible because of our uh, restrictions in, in physical or mental capability, know that all things are possible with God. Well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the, outer, in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. I want to pause there for a moment. What's this scene remind you of? When I think about this scene, it reminds me of the mediatorial work that Christ is doing in a most holy place for you and I. It reminds me of the Day of Atonement, actually, when the people were outside searching their heart and asking God if there was any evil way in them. It was when there was a time that people were 
realizing the importance of separating themselves from sin and being right with God. Zacharias knew, according to the prophecies of Daniel, that a certain timeline prophecy had been fulfilled. And he was praying for the advent of the Messiah. The people were searching their hearts and they were too joining in prayer. Friends, we have a time in which it is absolutely important <laughs> that we gather for prayer. Now, I don't know how many of you are coming out to prayer meeting. We had a nice group come out this last Wednesday. We're going through the commandments of God. I started it on Wednesday with the first commandment. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. But we're going to have different speakers every Wednesday talking about the different commandments. But I want to tell you, friends, we're living in a time where we need to press together. We need to be praying together. We need to get our children together. They need to understand the Word of God. They need to know how to stand for the Word of God. And we need... Friends, more than ever, I can't emphasize it, more than ever, come together and pray and ask God to do great things. Things are happening, and they're happening fast. How fast? How much time do we have? I don't know. How much time should God give us? We've had 178 years. How much more time do we need? Right? Really, let's think about that. How much time should God give us? If things were to break loose in the next year, are you ready? Are your children ready? It's something that we need to think about. It's a solemn question, but it's something we need to think about because things are happening quickly. In Central Advance, February 25, 1903, it says this, let me go on to that it says if two of you agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask it shall be done of them of my father which is in heaven for where two or three are gathered together in my name there I am in the midst of them ask of me and I will answer your request goes on to say the promise is made on the condition that the united prayers of God's people are offered note United prayers of God's people are offered. And in answer to these prayers, there will be expected a power greater than that which comes in answer to private prayer. So what we're being told here by scriptural inspiration as well as prophet inspiration is when we come together unified and we pray the power of God is greater and more influential because we have united for one purpose, one cause. And according to our love for God and love for one another and unity with one another, God will answer those prayers. How many of you have children that aren't in the faith? How many have loved ones that aren't in the faith? How many have neighbors that haven't yet surrendered? Do you know that when we gather and we press our petitions home unitedly, there's a greater power that is working in their behalf. It was through somebody's prayer that broke through the darkness of my mind. You were not going to get in my home and you were not going to approach me and talk to me about any religious things in the lifestyle I lived before, but it was because somebody was praying for me that light broke through the darkness and my mind was arrested to the reality of God's existence and his love for me. And so it does happen, friends. We need to be praying. We need to have the preparatory work of heart searching needs to take place 
now. In Psalm 66, 18, it says, if we regard iniquity in our heart, he will not hear us. Of course, in Proverbs 28, 9, it's also told that if we turn our ears away from hearing the law, our prayer will be an abomination unto him. So we need to be searching our heart. We need to be right with God. What we need more than ever is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but that's not going to come on a lazy, languishing church, is it? But in order for us to reach the masses, it must be done. Yes, friends, we have a great responsibility upon our hands. There was a young man named Ramon down in Brazil. Ramon had a burden in his heart for souls. He understood that the great truths he received, it was his responsibility to get that out to other people. Ramon was praying for divine encounters, but as he prayed, he would labor. He would encounter people. He was kind to people. He was nice to people. He had an inviting spirit. Ramon won hundreds of people to Christ, hundreds of people to Christ with a very simple method. And it was so profound that Mark Finley, when he was down in that part of the country, he wanted to meet Ramon. And so when he went to Ramon's place, Ramon was just ecstatic to see Mark Finley, you know, this well-renowned speaker of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in his home, in his humble little abode. He was just excited about it. And Mark said, Ramon, this is amazing. You've won so many souls to Christ. How did you do it? And he said, Mark, Pastor Finley, it's so easy. Well, how did you do it? And he said, I did this. I did this, and I did this. And Mark said, Ramon, what do you mean? He said, yeah, Pastor Finley, it's so easy. All you have to do is this, this, and this. And he said, Ramon, come on. That's a nice word picture, but I'm not getting it. Explain it to me. He says, all I do, Pastor Finley, is I invite people to my home for popcorn. I get out one of your DVDs. I smile a lot. I put it in the player, and I turn it on. And we sit down, and we watch it, and at the end, I ask them, what do you think? And they say, yes, I want to walk in that light. Friends, it's not that hard. If you don't know how to give a Bible study, it's not that difficult. We got such, so much literature that's so easy. All you got to do is pick up one of these little booklets and tell your neighbor, look, I'm, I'm in this class, and Part of my assignment is to give somebody a Bible study. Can you help me out? Can you what? Help me out. Now, if it's a nice friend that, you know, that really likes you, they'll say, okay, I'll help you out. And all you do is you get this little booklet and you open it up to page one and you read the little intro story and you begin going through it. And at the end, then you go over the questions and you ask them, well, what do you think? Would you like to walk in that light? It's not that hard, friends. Lots and lots of people have been won to Christ through simple, simple methods. Ramon understood. He understood that he needed to search his heart. He understood he needed to labor for souls. And don't you know, Satan is at work to keep us from doing both. Goes on to say here in Messages to the Young People, page 373, desire for excitement and pleasing entertainment is a temptation and a snare to God's people and especially to the young. Satan is constantly preparing inducements to attract minds from the solemn work of preparation for scenes just in the future. So how is he distracting you? Is he keeping you from Sabbath school class? Is he keeping you from the prayer meeting? Is he keeping you from divine service? Is he keeping you from serving God in the mission field or in the community? What is he doing? 
Is it keeping you from searching your heart because you're caught up, maybe too much work, maybe too much education, maybe too much social media? How is he distracting you? Goes on to say, through the agency of worldlings, he keeps up a continual excitement to induce the unwary to join in worldly pleasures. Thus, I mean, there are shows, lectures, and we can say all kinds of social media, an endless variety of entertainments that are calculated to lead to a love of the world. And through this union with the world, faith is weakened. It is Satan's policy to fill the mind with a desire for worldly amusement that there may be no time for the question, how is it with my soul? Let us be earnest in the work as the people were gathered together in a multitude outside praying while Zacharias was praying inside let us join Christ as he's in the second compartment in the Holy of Holies, praying, doing his mediation work. Let us do ours in joining with him, interceding for others, and let us be about our Father's business. It goes on to say here, verse 11, and there appeared unto him an angel and of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Now, how many people were praying at the same time as Zacharias? A great multitude. Now, think about this, friends. This is amazing. All of us in here can kneel down and pray. We can all lift our voice to God with a different petition. And don't you know that our great God, our loving Father, hears every one of them. Now, I don't know about you, but that just astonishes me. Now, you take that and multiply it times millions and millions. There's billions of people in the world. And don't you know, if every person on this planet prayed at the same time, don't you know God would hear him as if it was only one? That's how connected he is with humanity. That's how connected he is with your heart and mine. And you know, sometimes even before the utterance is given out of the lips of an individual, before it's even spoken, God hears the heart cry and the grace of God goes forth to meet the grace that's working in the soul because that's how good God is. And so let us press together, let us pray together, and know that our prayers will be heard. God sends angels in answer to those prayers. Isn't that wonderful to know? God sends angels to assist us in this work. The Bible or Spirit of Prophecy would tell us that they are ministering spirits that speak through our voices and work through our hands. The Bible tells us that there are ministering spirits that work, go forth to work for those that are heirs of salvation in the book of Hebrews. What a joy to know that when you go to minister to somebody or you kneel down and pray, there's angels working with you right there and then. That's amazing. I rejoice to know that. Continuing on here, and it says, Thy prayers have been heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall neither drink wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the holy ghost even from his mother's womb now the parents were given a message of how to raise this child in regards to health we have been given a health message that is this 
Assist us in resisting the evils of the day. Assist us in raising our children to have a sound constitution, spiritual insight, and mental strength, nobility of character. And I want to appeal to you, friends, if you're not living up to that health message, align your life with it. You know, recently I heard a message from Neil Nedley at camp meeting. My wife and I listened to it. And he was telling us about his, I think it was his father-in-law or his father, I can't remember which one it was, that had decided to go on a four-month sugar fast. And I thought to myself, huh, that'd be interesting. You know, I, I like cookies. I've told people before, I love chocolate chip cookies. They're my favorite. And when I could eat a cookie after every meal. And sometimes I'll go look for a cookie after every meal. Even breakfast, I like to know where that chocolate chip cookie is. But you know what? I decided that I would take on this challenge. Let's see how it would affect me. And I wasn't like totally overboard in processed sugar, but I thought, you know what? Let's step away from it altogether and see how it, how it goes. So for four months, my wife and I, we stepped away from this. And recently we did a bagging day for Christmas Behind Bars over at Andrews University and a lot of little goodies go in those bags because those inmates, they don't get things like that so often. And, you know, I used to like Reese's peanut butter cups until that day. Because that day I decided, it's been four months, I'm going to eat me a couple of these little, little Reese's peanut butter cups. And within five minutes, friends, I started getting nauseous. I actually literally got sick to my stomach. And I had to go find some good food to eat to help get me away from that nausea. And so I couldn't believe it. You know, over the four months, my body had been cleansed and been healed. And now I took something in. The body says, hey, wait a minute, that's a little toxic. Let's not do that. And I'm not saying sugar's altogether bad. But what I am saying is we need to do things in moderation. And we need to be an example to our children. And if we got the goodie bag open at home 24-7 and we do put no restrictions on our children and we wonder why they can't sit still in church and why they can't comprehend things in school, we might ask ourselves the question of how much sugar are they intaking? Whether it's high fructose corn syrup through a multitude of products that are on our shelves today or it's through the candy that they are partaking of. So, you know, friends, we have an appetite or we have a, <laughs> we have a call to check the appetite we have a health message. It's not just dealing with sugar. It's sunlight. It's trust in God. It's water. It's exercise and many other things. Let us put our forth and effort to do it and be an example to our loved ones. Because why? Because we have a message and a mission to do. And there's no other Protestant church on the face of this planet that's been given a three angels message. It's been given to you and I. We've been highly favored. We've been extremely privileged and honored by God. And I think we should take that a little more seriously. How about you? Now, it goes on to say here in verse 16 and 17, And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the, he shall turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The parents had a great work to do in raising John and educating him. They had a meth health message to educate him in. They had the word of God to educate him in. And then they had the constant reminder of why 
he existed and was chosen by God and why he was privileged to have these truths is because he had a work to do and he had a mission to complete. And don't you think for one moment that as John the Baptist saw prophecy unfolding and fulfilling before his eyes, it affirmed him in his message and his cause and his mission. It did over and over again. And so we're told in the great controversy, I'm sorry, the desire of the ages here, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. Before the birth of John, the angel had said, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. God had called the son of Zacharias to a great work, the greatest ever committed to man. And if you think about the work of the disciples after Jesus' ascension to heaven, there was no greater work for them than that, to take that message to the world. Their message and their work was second to that of Christ. You would read that in Acts of the Apostles. In order to accomplish this work, he must have the Lord to work with him, and the Spirit of God would be with him if he heeded the instruction of the angel. Friends, the angels and the Spirit of God will be with us if we heed the message. They will work with us, they will strengthen us, they will encourage us, and they will help us accomplish the work that is before us. Now, there's 7.8 billion people in the world. It's a lot, isn't it? And there's about, what, 20 million Seventh-day Adventists, give or take, a few more. Now, what's that calculate out to be? How many people did you have to reach per Adventist? About 400. Now, can you reach 400 people? I think you, every one of us can. How? Well, we just read it. Greater work will be done, greater power will be given when we unite together in prayer. The Spirit of God will move as we use technology as given to us, and we use it wisely, as we take advantage of the divine encounters God affords us on a daily basis that often we, we, we rush through and rush by a person not realizing God is calling us to witness to them or give them a track or encourage them or pray with them. Sometimes we think we're too busy. We don't have time for that. We won't get our work done. I miss a meal. I'll miss this time with this person here. But God is saying there's precious souls you need to reach and be a part of their lives. Take the time. Are you taking the time to encounter your neighbors? Are you taking the time to call somebody or text them and encourage them? Are you taking time to unite together and pray? Like I said, there's a 1040 window out there. I lived in my own 1040 window, and if it wasn't for United Prayer through other people that were praying for me, I met them later. The Spirit of God wanted to reach my heart, but I knew because somebody united in prayer, that's how it happened. That's how it's going to happen in this great work that's before us. Yes, it can be done, friends, but only through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and pressing our petitions home and being diligent about the work that's before us. And so we can be like an Andrew. Andrew, when he, when he heard about the Messiah and he listened to Jesus, he went to get his brother Peter and he says, we have found the Messiah. He didn't say, I, I, think, we, I think he might be the Messiah. Uh, he could be the Messiah. He says, no, we have found the Messiah. He was convinced, convicted in his heart, Jesus was the Messiah and he went to his family first. 
And how Andrew did not raise up any big churches. Andrew did not preach any sermons that won thousands of people in it. And Andrew did not write a book in the Bible that we have today. Not that we know of, that there's one out there. I don't know. But what we find Andrew doing is constantly bringing somebody to Christ. You go to John chapter 6, and you'll find that it was Andrew that brought the little boy with his lunch to Jesus that God blessed and fed a multitude. You go to John chapter 12, and you'll find it was Andrew that brought the Greeks to Jesus that were inquiring, where is Jesus? We would like to see him. You know, they came to Philip first, and Philip's like, well, I don't know what to do. They're Gentiles, you know. But I know Andrew knows what to do, and he brings them over to Andrew, and Andrew says, I know what to do. Let's bring them to Christ, friend. Let's lead people to Jesus. We lead them to Jesus through our acts of kindness, acts of love, courtesy, respect, and so forth, but let us lead people to Jesus. The time is at hand. You know, Pastor Ron mentioned from up front a couple weeks ago about this movie, The Letter. How many of you have watched that? The Letter by the Pope. It was put together in regards to climate change. You know, I started watching it. It's very interesting. They even at the end, you can, you can download this uh, booklet that they have there's a, a day of prayer you can start praying a certain prayer every day to the seventh day and don't you know it starts on monday and ends on sunday you know talk about conditioning the mind and you know it's interesting because they'll take something that really is good it's good for us to care about our planet is it not that's a good thing it's good in the 1800s it was good to be about the temperance movement movement but what they've done is they've taken something that is good, and this is predominantly happening a lot in our society today, and then they're linking something with it that is morally wrong, and they're pushing that agenda forward. And if you oppose it, well, then you're a criminal of the state. Now, the great controversy would tell us this. I'm sorry, no, this is the desire of the ages. Let me finish this quote here, and then I'll, I'll go on with the next one here. Speaking of John, to turn the hearts of the children, of fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's why I'm preaching the sermon today, friends, because this is our work here. We're told right here. In preparing the way of Christ's first advent, he was a what? A what? Of those who are what? To prepare a people for the Lord's second coming. That's your job and mine. And the enemy is going to oppose us. He's going to try to distract us and get us off track. And it's up to you and I. Either we're going to let him or we're not. So the leaders, this comes from the great controversy in regards to what I was just sharing about the letter. The leaders of the Sunday movement may advocate reforms which, are, which the people need, principles which are in harmony with the Bible. Yet, while there is with these a requirement which is contrary to God's law, his servants cannot, cannot what? Unite with them. Nothing can justify them in setting aside the commandments of God for the precepts of men. Now, I tell you, friends, <laughs> the way this is all shaping up is very, very interesting because they're going to connect Sunday sacredness with climate change. That's what the encyclical is about. And they're going to, those that oppose Sunday sacredness, they're going to come at us as if we oppose family time, as if we oppose the keeping of uh, the planet, keeping it nice and caring for it. No, we don't oppose that, but we do oppose the immorality of trying to usurp 
the fourth commandment, which the papacy has tried to do. So don't you know that each and every one of us will be labeled as a heretic? Do you know they've already labeled Ellen White as a heretic? How many of you have seen the article? Any of you? Yeah, all right, a few of you have. Here it is right here. It is Catholic Herald. I couldn't get it all on the screen. Heretic of the week, Ellen White. That's what they think about some of our leaders, and that's what they think basically about Seventh-day Adventists. Why do they deem her a heretic? Well, they say she was one of the founders of our church, which, yes, she is. But they say that, you know, she's promoted the Jewish Sabbath. Friends, it's not the Jewish Sabbath. They just happen to keep the biblical Sabbath like we do. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus was clear on that. And then they, they, they claim her a heretic because, uh, and along with other Seventh-day Adventists, because we named the Pope as the Antichrist. And they, they highlight one particular point in regards to that, when there's multitude of points in Scripture that reveal who the Antichrist is, and that's clear, it is the papacy, it is the Pope. No, it isn't the Christian, it isn't the Catholic people. They happen to be a part of a system that they don't know is opposing the truths of God's Word. And so we got a work to do. Let us not be discouraged, but let us be encouraged because this is how it's gonna happen. It happened like this with Christ and it will happen like this with us. The priests were in a dilemma. They saw that they must cloak their hypocrisy under the thickest concealment. They must not allow it to appear that Christ had been arrested on religious grounds. That's how they're setting this all up, to make it look like it's not about a religious thing, even though we as Adventists know that opposing the right to worship on Sabbath and keep the fourth commandment, it is a moral issue and it is a religious issue. Were this put forward as a reason, the proceedings would have no weight with Pilate. They must make it appear that Jesus was working against the common law, or we could say today the common what? Good. Then he could be punished as a what? Political offender. And so that's how they're lining things up. Yes, we have a work to do. Things are unfolding, but let us be encouraged. When it all breaks loose and the world turns against us, God will be faithful. You know, he did not forget Noah, did he? Did he forget Lot before the fire came? No. Did he forget Daniel? Did he forget Jeremiah? Did he forget the three worthies? Did he forget any of them? No. He remembers his people, friends. He'll tell us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, although a woman may forget her nursing child, he says, I will not forget you. You're graven upon the palms of my hands. I will remember you. So let us take courage. Let us be as Mrs. Miller. Mrs. Miller, I met a few years ago after preaching a sermon in Canyonville, Oregon. She came up to me after the service. I was in the foyer. And she asked me, as she approached me, she said, were you the man preaching today? And I thought to myself, yes. I, I said to her, yes, and thinking to myself, you just walked up to me. And she says, uh, my name is Mrs. Miller. I'm 103. And she walked up to me with a cane, and she wasn't like wobbling. She walked up to me. She says, I'm 103. She said, I have a little dilemma on my hands. I said, well, what is it, Mrs. Miller? She says, I've been handing out the great controversy. I'm on my third case, but I don't know how to gain a decision. And I thought to myself, 103, still handing out the great controversy, still laboring for the Lord. Praise God. 
couple things you can take away from that. No matter how old you are, there is no retirement for a Christian. What do you say? In other words, God has work for you to do. If you're living and breathing, you can speak, you can utter. Even if you can't speak, if you can think a prayer, you have work to do. And so I asked her, Melissa Miller, what's the problem? She says, well, you know, I was handed out a great controversy the other day, and, and I'm, I'm looking to be able to get decisions for people, to make decisions for Christ. And she said, I gave this lady a book. She said, no, I don't want it. She says, I have my own religion. And she said to the lady, well, do you believe Jesus is coming soon? And the woman said, yes, I do. And she says, do you believe we should be ready when Jesus comes? And the lady said, yes, I want to be ready, and I do believe we should be ready. And Mrs. Miller said, well, that's what this book is about. And the lady said, well, then give it to me. And she took the book. And I told Mrs. Miller, I said, praise the Lord. You got a decision. Keep on laboring for those souls. Friends, Mrs. Miller went down to the grave at 105 years old. She's almost 106. And don't you know that her children are still in the church? And her great-great-grandchildren are in the church? And her grandchildren are in the church? I met her great-great-granddaughter out in uh, Poplar, Montana. Chris Simons was the great-grandchild of this woman. And so they're all still faithfully serving in the church. She left them an example. Let us be an example to our children, to our grandchildren, and if you're old enough to reach it to that state, your great-grandchildren. How many want to be like Mrs. Miller, faithful on to the end? Let us be diligent men, men and women. Let us not forget we've been given the privilege and honor of knowing these truths, and we have a responsibility. I invite you to stand as we sing our closing hymn.